This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. While our team of tax pros are well-versed in all things tax, our areas of expertise include rental real estate and equity compensation. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. At Capital Area Tax Consultants, we believe in pricing transparency and flat fees. Before engaging with us, you'll receive an upfront quote in black and white with a description of any services to be performed. This way, there are no hidden surprises. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Welcome to the Tech Money Podcast, the place where tech workers come to get smarter about their money. Hosted by certified financial planner, speaker, blogger, and self-proclaimed personal finance nerd, Malcolm Etheridge. Each episode aims to take you beneath the surface level and cover traditional personal finance topics in a way that is both approachable and relatable, all from the perspective of the tech professional. Without further delay, here's your host. Hey there, listeners, Malcolm here. And on today's show, we're talking about career advancement, but from an unlikely perspective. More specifically, we're talking about avoiding burnout, the importance of creating a work-life balance you're happy with, and how the decision to walk away just might be the best decision of all. Picture this, you're working for one of the FANG companies in a high-paying role with unlimited PTO, free food, and plenty of responsibility. Sounds pretty ideal, right? But there's one big problem. You just can't take it anymore. On one hand, you feel guilty because you've ascended to a position many of your peers could only dream of. And on the other, you're unmotivated, unproductive, and struggling to make the commute to the office, or perhaps more telling, your kitchen table. What was once a challenging and fulfilling endeavor has soured. And the pressing question isn't if you should leave, but when. Don't get me wrong. Feeling stuck in a high-paying, white-collar gig is a good problem to have, but it's not sustainable. Regardless of your annual salary and all the bells and whistles, nobody is immune to career burnout. And worst of all, the cost of staying in a role that no longer serves you can steal your time, freedom, and creativity. And after all the life-altering experience of living through the COVID-19 pandemic and plenty of introspection, many workers made the tough decision to protect their peace of mind and walked away. But aside from the financial implications, Many more stayed in jobs they hated due to the fear of disappointing their parents and or the cultural expectations, possible backlash from colleagues left holding the bag, or even just the fear of being seen as ungrateful. But my guest today, Michael Lynn, walked away from a nearly half a million dollar a year job at Netflix after asking himself that exact question. In 2022, Michael made headlines after publishing a letter titled, Why I Quit a $450,000 Engineering Job at Netflix. And his words illuminated the reality of career burnout from high-demand, high-paying roles. He viewed his responsibility at Netflix as golden handcuffs, keeping him in a position he no longer enjoyed at the cost of his youth, time, and personal life. After deciding to leave, Michael says he met more creators, entrepreneurs, and builders than ever before, finding himself with a greater sense of purpose and vastly improved mental health. Through his experience, 
he came to realize that playing it safe may indeed be the riskiest choice of all. After his departure, Michael founded All-In Engineering Consulting, which provides FANG-tier software engineering consulting for non-technical founders. So, with that brief introduction, welcome Michael Lynn to the Tech Money Podcast. Hey, Malcolm. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, I appreciate you making the time to do this. This, this should be a really fun conversation. No, absolutely. Excited to talk about the decision to leave and what life after leaving corporate is kind of like. So, Yeah, sure. Well, I breezed through your resume pretty quickly there in my intro. What else should I have included? I think you covered most of it. I'm the founder of All In Consulting now. We're like a dev shop that people can actually trust. We help startups build MVPs and we specialize in API integrations. Before this, I was at Netflix for four years working as an engineering lead in product growth. Before that, I was also up in Seattle for three years working at Amazon as well in a software engineering role. I'm also an alumni from UC Berkeley as well. Awesome. Well, in addition to that, I shared just a little bit about your journey, you know, as a software engineer, my intro, but can you tell listeners before we get too much into that, more about the work you're doing at All In? Like specifically, you said we, are you growing, expanding? Like what type of projects are you working on? How big are you actually trying to get at this point? All those kind of things. Yeah, for sure. So right now we're a team of five. So it's me, a partner and three engineers. And it started off with just sort of like one hour consulting on like architecture reviews and just making sure people have the right technical roadmap in place. But over time, I realized that what people really needed was a product actually built. Mm. And that's why I'm working on a scaling the team out now. And that's why we have the engineers as well. Yep. We focus mostly on API integrations and building MVPs for early stage startups. And I'm really excited by how things have grown. I think that one of my favorite parts of working here is that I just feel very inspired by all the clients because they come from all these different backgrounds, different countries, they have different ways of working and thinking. And I just hear about all these exciting ideas that they're trying to bring to life. And I'm happy to help them on that journey. And it sounds like you guys are working for non-technical founders like myself who have some idea of what they want built, but have no clue how to actually string together the code to do it. That's right. Like Initially, I started off with just a general consulting, but uh, I realized that where I added the most value and where most of my clients just naturally tended to be non-technical founders because that's just where I could add the most expertise. So we've generally focused on non-technical founders, but there are some companies that do have CTOs and technical founders as well, and we've helped them as well. So Okay. So you quit Netflix in May 2021, if I'm cataloging this right, right? And it sounds like things went pretty well for you based on what you're describing, perhaps to your own surprise, right? As we're talking about this, like getting started, but I want to start this off by igniting the dreamer in all of us. And so can you talk about what you did end up doing in those initial months after leaving that maybe you did or didn't expect to do? Yes. So I left in May, 2021, and I decided to just take the rest of 2021 off. Mm-hmm. Uh, for like a sabbatical after, you know, seven years of working, I felt like I deserved a little bit of a break. For sure. So I just traveled a little bit around the U.S. COVID was still, you know, kind of in the air at that time. And uh, so it was hard for me to travel internationally. So I stayed domestically. Uh, in that time, I had actually bought a company off of MicroAcquire, which is mm-hmm. like a website for buying small, small and medium-sized businesses. And I was working with a partner on growing that business. It was called RecordJoy. And it was a screen recording website similar to Loom. And so while I was traveling, I was working on growing that. We ended up selling that again on MicroAcquire actually in April 2022. Hmm. But towards the end of the year, I had a decision to make, which was like, should I try to 
you know, apply for more jobs or should I just uh, work for myself? And it was at that time I decided to, to just go all in on myself, just take a bet on myself and go for it. And, you know, I have zero regrets. I'm 100% certain I made the right decision and I just look forward to the future. So, Dude, you had me jealous at the six months sabbatical. Like, I know that that's pretty standard in some places. Like, some companies will kind of push you to every four years or five years, you get that six month sabbatical. But I've also found, you know, being tangentially connected to the tech world quite a bit. Most of the time, people don't take it. It's out there, it's an option. But what happens is when they do finally get fed up and tired to the point that you would look for that sabbatical, they just go start another job that's just as intense as the one they already have. And the only thing that really changes is the team and the manager. Yeah, I, I think a lot of people are scared that if they take a career break, it's going to hurt their career tremendously. Like they won't be able to find another job or something. Mm -hmm. But it's really not as risky as a lot of people might think. I still get like recruiters constantly trying to hire me as well. And also, I think the old idea of work 40 years, enjoy your life when you're old. I think this is just outdated at this point. And I think it probably makes more sense to spread out the retirement, you know, every few years across your life rather than, you know, work for 40 years and then retire hard for 20 years. I think inserting a, a few sabbatical years throughout your career is just a better balance. Vicky Robin calls that the nine to five until you're 65 <laughs> grind. Yes. That rings true in my ears all the time. Yeah. When we think about that, like I'm supposed to work my youngest, strongest, most fun years. And then when I turn 65, I'm allowed to actually kick back and have some fun. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, like how much fun are you going to be willing and able to have in your 80s and 90s at that point when you don't feel like traveling? Mm -hmm. Things on your body don't function like they used to, like all those different things. And so it's just it's really a backwards calculation that we don't necessarily think about enough, in my opinion, but that's for a different conversation. I will, or maybe not, maybe it is for this conversation. We'll see. But what I'm thinking about is like, as I'm listening to you describe really taking ownership, taking agency of your own career and your life in that way, it sounds incredible. And I'm sure some of our listeners are itching to walk away from a role they don't love after hearing about your success, but that isn't what brought you notoriety. It would be the open letter that you published in February of 2022 to your personal Substack. Why did you decide to publish your story openly like that? I published that article for the same reason I'm on this podcast today. And it's because I have a message that I want to get out to the world, mm -hmm. which is that I have never regretted pulling the plug on something that I knew wasn't a good fit too soon. I have never regretted it. And this applies to everything. So leaving jobs that weren't a good fit, mm -hmm. relationships, living situations. You know, what I realized is that these kinds of years spent doing things you don't want to do, they really add up. Mm -hmm. If you spend an extra two years at a job you wanted to leave and did this over five jobs in your lifetime, you just spent an extra 10 years of your life doing work you never wanted to do. The analogy I often give people who are in this situation is that, you know, you can imagine yourself driving down a road. If you were driving down that road and you realized it was the wrong direction, you would never continue driving down that road. You would try to stop and you turn immediately. Yet how often do we find ourselves driving down wrong life roads and we know it's the wrong road and yet we continue down those roads for years at a time. So if you're willing to stop and you turn while driving a car going down the wrong direction, 
then you should act with the same urgency when you're driving down the wrong life roads as well. And it was that analogy that actually helped me make the final push to leave the job at Netflix. One of my mentors told me one time that usually when we decide to make a career move like that, uh, we finally decide to pick up and leave. It was the right decision to leave a year ago. Yes. So I definitely take your point. I think that's a very good point to hammer home. And so I appreciate you sharing that. But how would you say your open letter was received or has been received by the tech community Mm. in general? Yeah. So overwhelmingly, I think it's been positive. I've gotten hundreds of emails and messages from people all who told me about how they felt inspired and about how Mm -hmm. it even encouraged them to try to negotiate a severance package themselves. And some people told me they actually got it too. So it was a very valuable letter for a lot of people. Obviously, there was some criticism as well. I think maybe the biggest critic might be even my parents. They thought that I was throwing away everything that they worked for coming from China to here for that job. And now I'm just giving that away. I actually even... Two years after, they still tell people that I work at Netflix sometimes. <laughs> but one day, they're going to be proud enough to say I work for myself. Their son is an entrepreneur. One day. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. If your parents are anything like mine, maybe. Maybe, yes. So my parents are probably the biggest critics. A lot of people, I think, might not understand the situation as well. They wish they could have had this, and here I am walking away. So there's just a lot of confusion on this as well. But ultimately, I think that it's the true mark of a life well-lived is a life lived according to your values. And I think the reason why some people might not understand is that we have different values. For example, like I value growth tremendously. And I felt like I wasn't getting that growth through the job. And I felt like every extra incremental year that I was there, the salary would not improve my life and help me live according to my values the way the growth has. So that's why I left. But for some people, I understand their values could be spending more time with their family or their values could be their hobbies. And of course, then they work the job so that they can spend more time with their family or live more according to their values. And, you know, there's no right or wrong way of living, but it's just according to what your values are. And as long as you live intentionally according to that, then, you know, that's the right way to live. So I did receive some criticism, but ultimately, I think that everyone has their values and I'm living according to mine. So as long as you live according to yours, it's it's all good. As I'm listening to you talk, I'm thinking about, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Bozema St. John, Mm -hmm. who I'm sure you know, having worked at Netflix, but something I hear her talk about all the time is people always feeling like they have to have a plan for the next thing before they can move on mm-hmm. and not being willing to just kind of sit still, hit the pause button, be quiet for a little bit, and also not have the title of, you know, chief marketing officer or whatever, head of product or whatever their their title is, because our society values you based on what you do for a living. And we also tend to value ourselves based on what we do for a living, at least to some degree. And so as you were talking, I was thinking about that, that I hear her constantly talking about that idea, that need to just sit still for a minute and kind of figure out what comes next. So regarding that, like even just sitting still, even without a plan. So two things on that. The first thing is that Just given that analogy that I gave before about the car going down the wrong road, you know, you could either U-turn or you could stop or you could continue going down the wrong road. Mm -hmm. And in that case, I would argue even just stopping and doing nothing might be better than continuing like down that wrong road. So in that way, I think that she's absolutely right. And the second thing is that regarding like having something going before you quit, I've noticed in this journey that there are two buckets of people. So The first bucket of people are people who can work on side hustles while they're working their full-time job. And then there's the other bucket where they have to focus in order to get anything done. 
And I think the split of people is 50-50. Mm-hmm. I happen to be in the bucket where I really need to stop and focus if I want to get anything done. Because even in, in a job, like even if there's just one meeting in the middle of the day, like your entire day is planned around that meeting and it's just extremely distracting. And by the end of the day, you just have so little energy that it's very hard to get anything truly creative done. So mm-hmm. it really depends on the person. If you can get something going while you're working, obviously that would be ideal. But for me, I'm in the latter bucket. That's probably what makes you a great engineer, though, is being able to have that level of focus, whereas I am the opposite. I'm the other person you just described, that if I have eight things to do on my calendar, I will do a great job at four of them, which means my day was a success. Yes. So it's just a matter of filling the calendar with enough things that some good things happen out of all of that chaos. But otherwise, if I just have a blank slate, like a calendar with nothing on it to do, I'm like scratching and itching and don't really know like how to function. Like, so for some people, to your point, that focus is definitely important. And for other people, somehow like the chaos is necessary. Yes. But I'm thinking about something else you alluded to initially, the idea of negotiating your severance, right? And since this is the place tech workers come to get smarter about their money, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is that you did something really bold, right? Speaking of that severance that you negotiated, you did something many of us probably never considered an option, which is that you negotiated your own exit at a company as big and powerful as Netflix. What was that process like? Can you take us through that? Yeah. So at Netflix, they have a very unique policy where they're known to give generous severance packages to people that they feel aren't good fits anymore. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I definitely felt a little bit burnt out and was thinking about leaving. But it was at that point that I realized that at the same time, I didn't want to wait to have my performance go down so much that I would be like just actually fired. Sure. So I thought that it would actually be better for all parties involved if I actually proactively brought that up to my manager and asked for the severance package instead. And the reason why I did that was because I realized that by asking for the severance package sooner, it was actually a good deal for all parties involved Mm -hmm. because Netflix saves money, the team can find a better fit sooner, and then I can go do what I want. So really, it's actually good for me to proactively bring this up rather than drag this on for many more months where I'm doing work that's unfulfilling and that I continue to feel unmotivated about. So in April 2022, in a one-on-one, I decided to bring that up with my manager where I basically said that my motivation is waning and my performance is waning with it. And especially because my goals were in product management and he knew about that and he knew about the difficulties I had trying to transition there, that it was clear that I wasn't going to be able to get that job and the situation and the motivation wasn't going to improve. So I asked if he was open to discussing the possibility of a preemptive severance package instead. Honestly, he was surprised because he had never heard of this Hmm. before. Neither had my director and really no one has ever even tried doing anything like this that I know of, at least at Netflix. It's a very Reed Hastings thing to do. And so I am not surprised that it exists culturally, right? Since from what I understand, you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but the mantra within old Netflix, I don't know about today's Netflix without him, but... From its very beginning, it was once you are no longer serving a purpose, you're no longer functional and useful, you've got to go. And that's at the very top of the organization. Some of the early founders that at some point got pulled into a conversation with him where he said, the thing I brought you in to do, you no longer serve that purpose. And so you've got to go. And that kind of filters its way through everyone else. And so I'm surprised, actually, that more people in the organization hadn't heard of that policy. Yeah. What happens is that most people end up just waiting 
Mm-hmm. So if they end up being redundant, they just wait for their manager to end up making the decision for them. Mm-hmm. I think what was unique here was that instead of waiting for my manager to do that, I brought it up myself. And, you know, at the end, he talked to HR. We had a final meeting. It was me, HR, and the manager. And ultimately, it was up to the manager's decision whether or not to, you know, give this kind of severance package and let someone go. Sure. But they agreed to it. And the good thing about that was that by doing that, I could also plan my exit a little bit better. Like, it's not like just abruptly the next day I'm just gone, but I actually planned the exit. I had that meeting and then it was a week or two later that I actually left. So I could say some final goodbyes. And also for the people listening to this, it's important to plan your exit because it's better to leave on the first of the month than the 31st of the month because the benefits, a lot of the benefits like insurance and such, they're on a monthly basis. So if you leave on the 31st, you lose everything the very next day. But if you leave on the first, then it's like having an extra month of benefits. So it's very, very important to plan the timing of your exit. I would also throw in there as the financial planner in me can't let go the fact that there's also quite a bit to consider with your equity mm-hmm. around the timing of when you make a decision like this, right? So the vesting windows and those different window periods, being able to exit some of those positions ahead of making a move like this, or at least being able to wait until you receive your next vesting of options or RSUs or whatever you've got coming also should play into the timing of when you decide to make this conversation known or when you decide to make this concern known to the powers that be. Yes, yes. Like if you had a lot of stock vesting in two weeks, I wouldn't bring this up, you know, until like two weeks later, right? So got to make sure you the stock vest first. Were you concerned though to that end about what you would do if things didn't go your way? If you said, you know, I want to do this, they said, no, but you can leave today. I did consider that as an option. There were a bunch of different scenarios that I was thinking on this conversation. So the best case scenario was they actually agree and then we actually get that exit, which is what happened. Sure. There were a couple of other scenarios too. What if they just fire me right then and there? What if they just say no severance? Or what if they just say, no, we're not giving it to you, but you have to keep working? I thought through all of it. I decided that. You know, worst case, if they say no to me, it's no different than someone asking for promotion getting denied as well. Like people really ask for these types of things all the time. And it's at the end, it's just business. So I thought that if they didn't give me the severance, then the show goes on. I would continue working as well. But thankfully, the best case scenario happened. Yeah, I think that's also the fear that keeps us from being able to move beyond the ideation stage to actually executing is the concern in the back of your mind over what happens if the worst possible scenario happens? Mm -hmm. But to the point that you started out by making, what if the best case scenario is what actually happens? And if I focus my mental effort in that direction, like how great is this going to be for me when they say yes? Mm -hmm. It also comes out in the approach that you make. Like not to compare the two, but I had a job coming out of college once upon a time where I basically went to our general manager and said, I came here to get this degree. I got the degree. I'm too good for this position now, almost like either you guys are going to have to promote me. I'm going to have to go do something else. Mm -hmm. And the way that I framed it in that conversation was why I got the response I got Mm -hmm. where the manager literally looked up at me and said, it sounds like you've already made your decision. Mm -hmm. So your two options of stores to transfer to our blah, 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 blah. Right. And so being confident in having already made the decision that this is what I'm going to do because I'm expecting the best possible outcome also filters through in your approach to the person you've got to go make that pitch to. Absolutely. We can't just always think about downside. Sometimes I find that if you aim for the ideal situation, you might be surprised because you actually might get it a lot more times than you think in your life. 
And along with that, I think the framing of the conversation is important too. I think when I pointed out that it's really everybody benefits if we agree to this deal, I thought that that was a pretty compelling argument. So, yeah. So staying with that thought for a second, right? You end the article by saying when you play it safe, you're just as exposed to all the dangers, except you have no chance of the upside. Mm -hmm. What would you say is the greatest benefit or has been the greatest benefit of taking your career into your own hands the way that you have? Yes. I think the greatest benefit of taking the career into your own hands is better incentive alignment. Mm. And what I mean by that is that I think that at a salary job, you're actually not really incentivized to be your best self because you get paid all the same, regardless of the results or what happens. Mm -hmm. Like in corporate, if you go on a project and it fails and everyone can just be like, oh, it's okay, you tried, good job, learnings. But when you work for yourself and you make a mistake, you actually are held accountable for those results. So by working for myself and leaving that salary job, you're actually incentivized I've been incentivized to be the best version of myself. Like since leaving, I've had to be far more accountable for everything that I do, far more disciplined. I take care of my health better because I realize I have to be like focused and think clearly if I want to help clients. I've been more empathetic because I'm always thinking about how am I adding value to the other person? How am I adding value to the meeting? Like I think about like the value I'm adding in all the interactions that I'm in now. So I think the biggest benefit was just forcing me to be my best self working for myself, whereas in a salary job, the incentives were just off. Yeah. The phrase I use all the time is if you don't work, you don't eat. And that framing keeps you motivated to do things in a way you don't necessarily have when, you know, at the end of the day, there's nine other people on your 10 person team. And so if you decide you're not feeling it for the next three weeks, four weeks, so be it. Yeah. Whereas if you're doing this for yourself, a bad week makes a bad month and a bad month makes a bad quarter and a bad quarter makes a bad year. And so because all of those things are such a domino, you don't have time to be worried about not getting it done. You just figure out a way to get it done. Yeah, that's a great point. And I always have the mantra to myself, no zero days. Like we have to get stuff done every single day. And actually at the end of every day and at the end of every week, I actually track down like, what exactly did I do every single day? What did I get done? Are these things actually needle moving things or is it just like busy work? And mm -hmm. I'm probably my harshest boss I could ever have, but working for yourself, you're far more accountable. And it's, it's like you said, you know, good days stack up, but zero days stack up too. So you got to make sure you're delivering every single day. Even I probably work a lot more than I ever have in my life now. I probably work about six days a week, but you know, I enjoy the work. It's what I like to do. So there's no problem there. I appreciate you also sharing the time commitment and the difference in time. I once heard somebody say entrepreneurs are the only people crazy enough to trade in a 40 hour a week job for a 70 hour a week job. But in you saying that, I'm reminded that I should also throw out there it's not for everyone. Mm -hmm. And so saying that you're going to leave where you are because it's not the best fit doesn't mean that you have to be leaving because you're going to go launch your own thing. It means go be looking for an environment that you're going to be able to thrive in. So even if you become a consultant working for someone who has the company, who has the contracts that allow the work to flow, and the thing you get to do is focus on applying your technical expertise and that's it, you don't have to be going and finding customers and you don't have to be also worried about marketing at the same time you're worried about fulfilling on the contract that you already have at the same time you have to be worried about managing employees and all that kind of stuff. Like just finding the right fit should be the framing of people's mindset leaving this conversation that you and I are having. Yes. Not necessarily that it's a full-blown advertisement for 
going and planting your flag as an entrepreneur the next day? You know, no, absolutely. I think that I find a lot of my life meaning and fulfillment from work. That's not true for a lot of other people. And as long as you figure out what that is and work towards it, then, you know, how can anyone really criticize your life decisions? I will also say that being an entrepreneur is also, it's definitely, like you said, not for everybody. For one, it requires a degree of self-promotion that probably most people have never even done in their lives. Yeah, It requires... Like you have to be thinking of, it requires a degree of creativity where you're always running like new growth tests, like new ways of reaching new people and trying different experiments. You have to be very open-minded and willing to experiment constantly. And that might not be in the comfort zone for a lot of people as well. So it's definitely not for everybody. An optimistic. Yeah, definitely have an optimistic mindset. It's not for everybody, but I think for you and I, Malcolm, it's a good fit. So to your point, I can't imagine myself doing anything different. I always think about the... Troy Palomalu head and shoulders commercials where he keeps showing up and he's like, I'm never not working, which is literally the the case. Like if I'm not at work, it doesn't mean I'm not working. I'm doing something different, like maybe preparing for this podcast, for example. But my next question is sort of in a little bit of a different direction because I'm thinking about this new you, right? It hasn't been that long, but like you live to tell the tale, right? So one thing that I want to get your take on is Do you have a mechanism that you use or recommend folks use to recognize that they're burning out? I think it's really just one criteria, which is that uh, when you're only doing the job for the money, I think that's really when there's burnout. I think the main issue is that a burnout is really just an apathy when you stop caring about the work and everything is just starting to feel a little bit transactional. Mm -hmm. And maybe in the worst case scenario, I really knew I was burned out when towards the end of my career at Netflix, I was really only doing things to avoid getting fired. It got to that bad of a state. So that's when I recognized that it was burnout. And I think that especially at the time, especially in the middle of the pandemic, it becomes especially clear Because all the usual benefits of the work, like the food or like the socializing with the coworkers, all of that is gone. So all you actually have is the work. So if you didn't enjoy the work during COVID, it really got amplified like 10 times more. Mm -hmm. I think when it starts to feel very, very transactional and you're only doing the job for the money, that's when it's burnout. Yeah, I would also say there's nothing wrong with being a mercenary, right? If you're only doing the job for the money, that's cool too, as long as you recognize that you're only doing the job for the money. Yes. It's also not meant to be a long-term thing, right? If you think about mercenaries in the traditional sense, the way we think about them, like hired guns, basically, you're on assignment for a short period of time. You're there to do one job and one job only, collect your check and go on about your business. And so you would want to think about it the same way. I'm not here for 10 years thinking it's all about the money. It's a very short stint meant to be me going after getting as much money as I possibly can, as quickly as I possibly can to get to the thing that I'm trying to do. But you mentioned at the top of this that this is like a really big passion for you, spreading this gospel. And now that I've talked to you this long, I can tell that like you genuinely get fired up thinking about and talking about how to help people be living their best selves within the confines of what they can be doing. Why is it so important you to keep this conversation going specifically within the tech community? I think it's because a lot of people have the same feelings that I have, but they're just unwilling to make the change. And ultimately it's from, I think, a place of fear, a fear of the unknown from all of the uncertainties as well. And part of the reason why it fires me up for my work is that I'm trying to show the path for entrepreneurship as well, for all the other people that there are alternative ways of making a living as well. 
For some, it could be like the venture scale startups. For some, it could be independent businesses. And even I think that consulting is actually an underrated business that more people should consider because it actually helps a lot of founders avoid a lot of the typical mistakes. Because for example, with consulting, it ensures that you're actually solving a problem that actually exists. Because if someone's willing to pay you to talk about it, then it must be a serious problem, right? So I'm just trying to show the way. I think that should just show that, you know, a lot of people are operating from a place of fear and I'm trying to quell those qualms. I love that. And I appreciate you pointing that out. I typically with folks I know who work in tech tend to try and encourage everybody's built differently as we've been talking about throughout the course of this conversation. But I usually try and encourage folks to be focusing on creating some sort of consulting arm that allows them to get paid a second time for that skill set and expertise that they've built up. So, you know, I don't necessarily mean working two full-time jobs simultaneously, but you can be doing a side project that allows you to use your exact same set of skills as a software engineer, for example, perhaps creating code to help a client build the product that your group is contracted to help them do, right? And so they're working with you guys as a contractor, as a side project, and they're putting in two hours a night and not having to treat it as a full-time job. But you're also allowing yourself to have a second stream of income where you get paid a second time on that skill set that you spend all that time and all that money going to school to build. Yeah, no, absolutely. I 100% agree with that advice. I often tell other uh, people the same thing where instead of just quitting and then going all in on something, maybe a better approach for most people might be taking like a portfolio approach to entrepreneurship, trying a lot of different things, you know, not spending too much time because, you know, a lot of things might fail and there's a lot of randomness sometimes in business. So try a lot of things. And when you get some signal that it's worth doing, then you go all in on it. That's part of what happened also with the consulting was that I had signal early on that I realized that working at Netflix and my fang background and my engineering expertise was very, very valuable. And then that's why I started to commit more and more into it. It's the same with also writing more online because I thought that a lot of people resonated. So I started committing more, but I've also had plenty of experiments that didn't work out as well. So, you know, not being too focused on just getting one thing working, but being more practical, trying a lot of different things, like you said, especially consulting, I think is your expertise is probably the most valuable asset that you have. And trying to monetize that in different ways is a very prudent approach. And we tend to usually think that we have to wait until we're 50, 60, 70 years old to have an expertise that someone is willing to pay us for. But in reality, five years working at Amazon, like you said, or five years working at Netflix is plenty of expertise that someone is willing to pay you for. Yes, that's a great point because a lot of people are worried about their not having enough experience or not enough years in the industry. But uh, expertise is also relative too. And, you know, if you've worked for, let's say, even just five years, for example, that's so much more experience that you have than someone who hasn't been in the field at all that it's guaranteed that you will have some value to add for that client. So, Mm -hmm. yes. Mm -hmm. So in preparing for this episode and doing a little bit of background research to make sure that I was prepared and knew who I was talking to, I realized that you tend to use this V word value quite a bit. Mm. What do you think about the value of youth and time in your life, right? We talked initially about this idea that you're supposed to wait until you're 65 to retire. So you got this 40-year career, then you get to retire at 65, and then you have a retirement that lasts you about 20, 25 years. What's the best way to measure these intangible things like youth and time uh, against something like a salary, in your opinion? Yeah, so 
I think the mistake that people make is that they bias towards valuing things that are measurable mm-hmm. more, even though the immeasurable things are just as valuable as well. Like we can obviously measure a salary and your savings, right? It's a hard number, but that's actually only one of many assets that we have. So to give you a sample, so money is one asset, but your time, your health, your freedom, those are all assets too. And the interesting thing is that salary, it's basically increasing over time as you get older, but the other assets are actually kind of decreasing over time, right? Like health tends to slowly deteriorate over time. Time also becomes more and more valuable if people start having kids and start raising families, you know, the time just gets more and more scarce over time. So there are a lot of different assets and we tend to bias too much towards just the one measurable thing, the money, but the other assets are just as valuable too. And part of the reason why I actually left was because I realized that I was in a place where I was lucky enough to where I had all these other assets. Like, you know, I worked at Netflix already. I had some savings, but I also was lucky enough that I didn't have any kids. Mm -hmm. I had a little bit more freedom and I had some more time. And I felt like these things aren't going to necessarily last forever. So I thought that if I was going to take a bet, then now was the time to do it. Like these opportunities don't last forever. So definitely you can't just over bias towards things that are measurable, like salary, consider your other assets as well. You know, freedom, time, health, your network, your skills. Those are all assets that you should try to utilize as well. I love it, dude. And I mean, like you're also alluding to normal will always be there as an option. So if you take a shot like you're talking about and two years later down the road, you find out it didn't really work out the way you thought it would, normal will always be there as an option too. What I'm referring to as normal is you going and finding that safer salaried gig that you know provides you that level of security that you need to feel like you know I've got my life under control. I'm talking again about some very highly skilled folks Right. So that option's always going to be there. So why not, to your point, when you're unencumbered with things, or even, you know, if you do have a family and kids and those sorts of things while you're still younger in that part of your journey, why not take a shot and see what happens? So I definitely am glad to see that you've landed successfully on the other side of that what if equation. Yeah, for sure. It's actually not as risky as people think. Like it's, you know, quitting to do this is not a, lifetime decision. It's a reversible decision, actually. The ironic thing was actually after leaving, I actually feel I don't intend to go back to corporate, but Mm -hmm. even if I went back, I actually feel far more prepared to do it now just because in an engineering role, for example, I was always, it's more like back office work, but from doing client work, I've been forced to improve like the way I talk and think about how, like how I act in meetings. And I feel like I would actually be a far better employee now having gone out and then going back in than had I just stayed there the whole time. And ironically, also, after I left and I was saying how I couldn't get the job, the product management job, mm-hmm. a bunch of people actually messaged me offering me product management jobs. So that was an actually a funny little side effect. I actually even got more, I probably have, will get more job offers now from leaving and doing all this work than had I just stayed there. So I think it might not be as risky as some people think. It's not a lifetime decision. It's a reversible decision. So I love it. Well, before we get ready to wrap, what would be your main message to folks who, you know, maybe want to leave an unsatisfying role like we're talking about or take a sabbatical like you did or maybe even start their own business like you did? What's your main message that you want to drive home to anybody listening who's in that camp? Yes, I have two final messages if you're listening to this podcast right now. The first thing is that if you're considering making this jump, you've got to start building assets right now. And by assets, it could be really anything. For example, a large audience on social media. Mm -hmm. That's a distribution channel to get a future product out, right? That's an asset. Creating small digital products, that's an asset. 
Malcolm has this podcast. He created all these podcast episodes, this library of content. That is absolutely an asset. You've got to start building assets now because it takes time to do. So one thing I recommend is trying just to get one social media account, for example, to over a thousand followers is a nice exercise to try. Another one is just trying to make a dollar off of the internet. You can make very, very simple things like just a PDF of some of your experience and advice and sell it for like $5. I guarantee there will be some people who will buy it and you'll learn so much from doing it as well. So that's the first lesson, which is that to start building assets now if you're interested in making this jump. And the second thing is that I know that there are a lot of uncertainties in your life if you're thinking about this jump, but to also take a step back and realize just how exciting your life is right now. Because this is the point at which you're not letting life just happen to you, but you're living life with much more intention and thinking about what you want to get out of it, right? You're not living life for your employer, but you're thinking about what you want to get out of life as well. So there's a lot of uncertainty, but from this uncertainty is a lot of excitement. I think that 10 years later, when you look back on this moment in 2023, and when you're about to make these kinds of big decisions, I think you'll see it as an inflection point in your life and as a very critical moment when you start to take control of your life. And I think that good things are going to happen for sure. So I really believe start building the assets now. And I think that good things will happen. Good things will happen. Awesome. Thank you for that. So my last question actually has probably nothing to do with any of what we just described. I'll find out in a second. But, you know, you can kind of uh, uh, relax your shoulders a little bit and, and and sit back in your seat. But let's say for a moment you never found your passion for what you're doing today for for building startups in the way that you do. Right. So you had to find a different way to occupy your days. But money wasn't a factor in your decision making at all. What do you think you'd be doing right now? I'd be totally honest. I think I would might still be doing the same stuff. I might still be writing, like uh, just doing a lot of writing, which I already, you know, I already publish a newsletter every single week. So I already, I already do a lot of writing. I might be doing the same stuff. I think that maybe the pace at which I do things might be slightly slower. Mm. Like uh, it wouldn't be as driven for, you know, every week I'm measuring my growth, subscriber mm-hmm. counts for a newsletter or like number of proposals submitted. I might like step off the gas pedal a little bit and I might be more willing to, take a month off here and there to longer periods of breaks and sabbaticals. But overall, I think I would be doing roughly something similar to to what I'm doing now. I will also say really quickly, I appreciate you sharing so much of your writing journey publicly as you're building it because I follow you and I actually am a fellow, like, I won't even call myself an aspiring writer, but just a person who wants to get better at writing and stay consistent with it. And so me tracking what you're doing helps me actually stay motivated to do the thing because like I am competitively motivated that way. So I appreciate you sharing so much of what you're doing publicly Mm -hmm. because people like me actually are paying attention. Mm. No, absolutely. No, I appreciate that. And I just want to let listeners also know that if you're ever thinking about writing, you absolutely should start doing it because- Writing really just positions you as an authority on the internet, and it's really a brand-building exercise. You know, something I learned about was that on the internet, 90% of people will just lurk and read content, 9% will like and comment on stuff, and only 1% produces content. So 1% will be producing podcasts like yourself, Malcolm, 1% actually writes stuff. So if you're a content creator, you actually are basically positioning yourself as a leader in your field, and it's extremely good for your career visibility and just for like meeting a lot more people. I think that I get emails and DMs all the time from people who've read the content. So I highly encourage it. If you're thinking about writing more, definitely do it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Michael. This was great, man. I really appreciate you being so generous with your time and bringing that energy to this show. 
Where can people find you if they want to learn more about you and or All In Engineering Consulting after this goes live? For sure. So allinengineeringconsulting.com is the main homepage for our dev agency. If you need anything ever built, any MVP, or you're dealing with any sort of API integrations, definitely drop us a line and we'll offer a free 20-minute consultation as well. You can also find all my socials on michaellin.io. I post four times a week on Twitter and LinkedIn, so follow me there. I also write every single Tuesday on my newsletter, michaellin.substack.com. The articles are geared towards helping people who are thinking about leaving or who have already left on what they should do and all the lessons that I'm learning on the journey so you don't have to repeat my mistakes as well. I think you'll enjoy it a lot. Awesome. Well, this has been yet another episode of the Tech Money Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you heard, please be sure to subscribe via your favorite podcasting platform. That way, you'll be alerted immediately each week when a new episode is released. Maybe even consider sharing the link to this week's episode with your friends and colleagues. And if you really liked what you heard, be sure to leave us a review. This will help make sure that more people just like you are able to find the show organically. You may connect with me, your host, on social at Malcolm on Money, and feel free to send us any questions, comments, or kudos to podcast at tech-money.com. That email again is podcast at tech-money.com. And as always, we hope that this episode of the Tech Money Podcast has helped to make you just a little bit smarter about your money. This has been the Tech Money Podcast. For more information on today's topic, to review the show notes, or to catch up on past episodes, be sure to check out tech-money.com. And if you have an idea for a show topic that you'd like us to cover, or you want to send us feedback, the web address again is tech-money.com. You could also find Malcolm across all social media platforms at Malcolm on Money. This episode was written and created by Malcolm Etheridge with the production, the editing, and the sound controls powered by Tech Money LLC. Thank you for listening. Information shared in this recording and by its guests represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not represent the views or opinions of the host. This content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. This content is not, nor is it intended to be a substitute for professional financial advice. It is always recommended that you seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your personal financial situation. This episode of the Tech Money Podcast is sponsored by Capital Area Tax Consultants. Capital Area Tax Consultants is a virtual tax and accounting firm that specializes in helping high net worth individuals navigate the complexities of the tax code. With our comprehensive tax planning services, our one goal is to help clients maximize savings and minimize their tax liability each year. Our team of certified public accountants and enrolled agents is well-versed in the latest tax laws, ensuring that you capitalize on every opportunity for strategic tax optimization. We anticipate changes and keep you up to date on opportunities to potentially reduce your tax bill in the future. With a focus on precision and strategic planning, we are your trusted partner both during tax season and throughout the year. So don't wait. Reach out to us today to experience a better approach to taxes at www.capgllc.com. Again, that web address is www.capgllc.com. Um...